Welcome, this is the Change Creator Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Change Creator Podcast show. If you missed last week, we spoke to Lorinda Lee, and she's the founder of a company called Kind Karma, and they're doing some great stuff for the fashion world, specifically around the jewelry space. Um, and we talked about a, good, a lot of good lessons in there about how she started the business, how she actually launched the business because she had some troubles on the first run, but then had some success, which was at the Buy Good, Feel Good conference. And that's going to be at Toronto this year. And just so you guys know, uh, Change Creator will be there at the Buy Good, Feel Good conference. Um, we're actually the uh, sponsors for the conference. And we would love to see you guys there. So hopefully you're getting out and about. And if you're near Toronto, please do stop by. Uh, you can go there. It's free to register um, to just go and check it out and start networking. There's a lot of good people there uh, for you to make connections with. So today we're going to be talking with Laura Gassner Odding. I can't remember if I'm exactly pronouncing that right. If it's Oding, I think it's Odding. So hopefully I got that right. She is an author and a professional speaker that has tons of experience, over 20 years of experience, helping leaders make major changes. She is the person that helps people get unstuck, right? So we all get stuck in our lives. Whether we're, we're stuck at a career job that we don't want anymore and we want to make a change, or we're an entrepreneur and we're trying to get to the next level and we just feel stuck, there, it's a lifelong journey to try and constantly uh, work on your own self-development, your own psychological game, the habits you create, and the success that you have. So it makes a big difference when you can have someone like Laura help you understand how to break those barriers down. And she is a rock star when it comes to doing the journey. So guys, our next magazine is going to be coming out this month on the 15th, and it's going to be with... Uh, Timothy Sykes. Timothy Sykes is quite a character, and this is a powerful story. He is a multimillionaire. He was a penny stock trader. Uh, he was on Larry King Live and all that kind of stuff. But that's not why we're interviewing him. The interesting part is he's funding social change. So he's made all this money, and it's cool to hear how he made it. Like he, He's made millions and millions of dollars doing these penny stock trades, which whoever would have thought, right? And, you know, but he's using that money now to build schools, to support animal rights and do all this crazy stuff. And they even started another company in, in, to, in the uh, effort to support those things. So we're going to talk about how he's doing that stuff and why it's so important to him. And he has a ton of lessons around money and social change that we can all learn from. So that's going to be the cover story of issue 26 and I'll be coming out April 15th. So we're going to jump into this conversation. Um, for anybody that is interested, just a quick heads up on our website. You'll see on the top right of our navigation at changecreator.com, we have a free masterclass that we have now added. And this is to help people learn what it takes to create loyal fans, people that are right for your business. You know, the numbers don't matter if they're not the right people. And this is a huge gap we have noticed in the hundreds and hundreds of conversations we've had with entrepreneurs, especially in the impact space. So we have a ton of experience between uh, our team. There's four of us, Danielle, Amy, and Selena, and myself, that go and we have this discussion in this masterclass to talk about our experiences, 
personally through all of our businesses and how we grew audiences and what it takes and just kind of like overcoming some of helping you understand some of the myths out there. Right. Um, and what it does take to build a loyal audience. And then, um, you know, we share some of the wisdom we've gained from interviewing people like Seth Godin, Jay Shetty, Russell Brunson. I mean, there is a, there is, it's, it's kind of an art, you know, building an audience, especially from the ground floor is really hard and you want to start taking the right steps out of the gates. Otherwise you're going to have to go back and start over and try again. And we have done that so many times. Now we want to help you avoid doing that. So let's just start doing it right, right out of the gate. So we put together this program. And yes, yeah, so you go through the masterclass. We will have an offer to take it further if you choose. But you will get a lot of value out of this program without it. But if you decide this is something you want to dig deeper in and build the foundation of your business and grow, um, we will offer you, uh, we have a course uh, Captivate that will take you further. But this is a great masterclass and you'll hear a lot from all of us in our experiences. So I think you guys will enjoy that. So check it out, changecreator.com, free masterclass. I hope you guys find value. We love your feedback. Um, without further ado, guys, don't forget to uh, leave us a review on iTunes. We really, really appreciate it. We love hearing from you. We hope that you find value in this show and you're willing to take a couple minutes to let us know. This just helps us on iTunes, right? It helps the show grow. It helps us with the triggering that algorithm. You know, you're always playing these algorithms on these platforms. So if you could, I know it's a pain in the butt, but if you could take a minute or two, just leave us a, a, what you think about the show and show some love. That always means a lot to us. Um, all right, so let's get into this conversation with Laura and learn how to get unstuck and transform our lives for true success. Oh, cool. I know you're going to do this. Hey, Laura, welcome to the Change Creator Podcast Show. How are you doing today? Hey, Adam, it's great to be here. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you. And, um, you know, I'm excited to learn more about your book, um, you know, Limitless. And I, I think that there's just so much relevant that you're doing uh, that will be helpful uh, for our audience who are listening right now. Um, you know, there's this, this little thing gnawing at people's brains when it comes to imposter syndrome and vulnerability and just like, you know, getting themselves mentally in, in the right space to accept more success in their own life. Life, right. So if you can give us just a little bit about what are you working on these days? What's going on in your world? Yeah. So I, um, having spent 20 years doing executive search, interviewing leaders in massive moments of career change, um, all of whom were looking to do work that had more purpose, work that mattered. Um, I spent 20 years doing that. And at the end of it, after I sold my team to my people, I sort of had, as you might imagine, a bee in my bonnet about a number of different topics. And I just started getting on stages and talking about them. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was, I was righteously indignant about, uh, about, um, the fact that we're not transferring ownership to the next generation of leaders, that we're not owning the dream that we're stuck in the sort of faux humility and we can't own our ambition to do well while we're also doing good. And all of those other things that I felt that over the course of 20 years, I, I saw people be constrained by. And so the result of that became this book. Limitless, which has the great subtitle, How to Ignore Everybody, Carve Your Own Path, and Live Your Best Life. <laughs> awesome. That's great. Yeah. So I, I'd love to hear a little bit just about some of the stuff you mentioned on the histories, just so we know how you got there, right? So um, you said you sold your team or something like that. So can, can you give us a little bit about what kind of process you went through historically to get you where you are right now? 
Oh, well, if you want to go back really far, what I can tell you is that I I grew up thinking that I was going to be the first female United States senator from the great state of Florida. I was going to solve all cool. the problems, right? That was going to be what I was going to do. And I figured the, the best way to do that was to go to law school, right? Everybody I saw who was in elected office was a lawyer. So I spent a lot of time heading off to law school only to realize about six weeks in that I absolutely hated law school and had it wasn't for me. I didn't want to be there. And it wasn't just imposter syndrome. It was like organ rejection. Like I, I, it wasn't, I didn't feel like an imposter. I knew that I was an imposter and I was thrilled that I was an imposter and yet I was stuck. So I, um, ended up, uh, getting a ride home from class one day, uh, from a friend of mine who said, well, I just want to stop by this guy's office. He's running for president. I want to pick up some material because this is back, you know, before the internet, right? So <laughs> you, you had to actually stop at somebody's local campaign office. And we walked in and there in the corner was this then black, uh, this, this then brown-haired governor on a black and white TV talking about this idea of community service in exchange for college tuition. And I thought, oh my God, that makes so much sense. That needs to happen. And yeah. all of a sudden, I had this like cataclysmic moment, like like, like a stroke or something. <laughs> and I and I went from thinking, how can I help? How can I be the change? How am I going to be the one that's building a cathedral around me and all of my good works to be the person who's the, the, the senator to that needs to happen? And how do we get the right people around the table to make that happen? And I started volunteering on the campaign. And one thing led to another. And long story short, I ended up in Bill Clinton's White House as a presidential appointee helping create AmeriCorps. Good <laughs> yeah, so kind of a crazy story. But then fast forward four years and there I am still, f- you know, filled to the brim with the idealism and ramen soup, mostly because I was getting paid about 70 cents an hour. Uh, <laughs> and I had a Rolodex I could choke a horse, but really no ostensible skills in the real world. And, mm. you know, back then people didn't just sort of jump into entrepreneurship, right? That's what you do when you don't have a lot of skills, but a lot of energy, you become an entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, I didn't do that. I, um, went into executive recruiting because, you know, again, big Rolodex, lots of people who care deeply about making the world a better place. So I went into mission-driven nonprofit executive search. And I spent four years at the best and the brightest firm, working with the best and the brightest people, learning how the best and the brightest did the work. And then I had a moment of rage. And that moment of rage was, and I'm sure that your listeners will be able to relate to this. It was the moment when you say, I think there's a better way to do this. Yeah. I did some research to figure out why that firm did the work the way they did it. And what I realized was it was 100% completely arbitrary. Mm. And once I understood that it didn't make any sense, my entrepreneur brain couldn't help but try to figure out a solution. And then once I figured out a better solution to do it with more authenticity, with more integrity, with more profit, um, better for the client, better for me, better for, for everybody involved, I couldn't not do it because I felt like if I was no if I was not part of the the, the solution, I was complicit in the problem. Yeah. And because the work we were doing were for nonprofits, you know, I walked in saying, I want to make the world a better place. And I looked at my clients on the other side of the table and I said, you're curing cancer, you're creating educational access, you're fighting for gay rights, you're doing all these wonderful things. And I'm on the same side of the table as you. And then they pointed out that I was actually on another side of the table and in between us sat the PNL of my firm. Yep. And I had two masters, right? I was, I wanted to make the world a better place and help my clients, but I also needed to keep my boss is happy. And I needed, once I realized that I needed to figure out a way to be on the same side of the table with my people. 
Yeah. Wow. That's quite a story. Um, and so how did you start figuring that out? Well, so, uh, I gave birth to my first child and (laughs) when I was six weeks postpartum, sort of sitting at my kitchen table, having had, um, 24 hours of labor in an unplanned C-section. So for those of your listeners who have had children, they know this means you're not exactly mobile. You're not exactly right. I get a phone call from a friend of mine that I worked with back in the White House. And she's like, yeah, so ew, I heard you had a baby. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, that's a, that's cool and all, but, um, are you still doing executive search? Cause the executive director of my organization, uh, just quit and we need a search firm. And I said, yeah, I am. Um, let me send you a contract. Yeah, but <laughs> and, not for you. <laughs> but, and so here's the thing. By this point, the internet had been invented. So I quickly, I think I yacht. I don't know if Google was even there yet, but I quickly right. looked up um, on Internet Explorer or whatever how to create a contract, <laughs> and I wrote a contract, and I um, charged her like $100 an hour or whatever round number I could think of because, again, baby brain wasn't doing math so well, and I sent her a contract, and my firm was born, and it was born because I knew there was a better way to do it. I knew that I could be the person to make that happen. Right. And I, and, and I, and I knew in my head that I just needed to prove out the model. And so this, this, this client dropped in my lap. And so, you know, now fast forward and to go back to the, what the first question you asked me about sort of imposter syndrome and, and, and how do you, how do you, how do you deal? How do you, how do you plan for success? How do you get excited about it? How do you, how do you figure out your place in that? Now I go and I, I give guest lectures at entrepreneurship classes. There's always somebody in the back of the room who's like, Hey, um, how long did it take you to write your business plan? And, <laughs> and I'm like, plan. well, you got a napkin. Cause I'll write it now. Like, I didn't have a business I just had business. And, 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 and then they would inevitably say, well, what would you do if you failed? And right. okay, we're in an entrepreneurship class. So I say, well, you're an entrepreneur, right? You want to be an entrepreneur. What will you do if you fail? And the answer is always what? You go back to the cubicle until you figure out the next project, right? You figure out the next company you want to start. So I said, great. You know the plan if you fail. What's your plan if you succeed? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Nobody ever has an answer for that because we don't think about that. And I, I would posit that if you spend more time thinking about what you will do if you succeed, then you actually know what you're going to need to do to succeed. Yeah, let's let's pause and talk about that a little bit. Um, you know, and, and I, I, I think the common, I mean, I guess the people who have imposter syndrome or they're very fearful um, of taking certain steps, you know, they... I see a mentality of entrepreneurs where it's, well, what if you fail? Well, then I just try something else. Like I, I know I'll get to my destination, like whatever my goal is at some point, I just got to figure out what the best you know route there is. Right. And then, you know, I love what you said, which is, um, well, what if you succeed? And I, I think you're right. Like people don't actually propose that question. And, and I would even argue that, you know, people, if you ask them, well, can you write down what does success actually look like for you? Like, when do you get there? Um, you know, they'll have a hard time probably with that too, um, which Absolutely. is always interesting. Absolutely. It's interesting. And so this is sort of where the framework in my book comes from, because I think, you know, we define success as this monolith, this one myopic, unflinching definition of the fastest and most expedient route to the corner office, right? To being the big boss of whatever it is you want to do. But we forget that everybody actually defines success differently. So 
I sat down with a business coach years ago and he said, well, how do you pay yourself? And I, you know, I was like, well, I don't pay myself whatever's left over at the end of the day. And he looked at me and this is a guy who, you know, was, was like the consigliere to, to, you know, fortune 10 company CEOs. And he looks at me and he's literally doing a favor to a friend to sit down with me. Like this was, this was, I was like a project. He looks at me and he just goes, stop being such a girl. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> I'm kind of offended by that. And he said, well, what do you want to make? And I said, well, I, I don't really know. He said, well, how, what kind of vacations do you want to go? Like, how often do you want to go vacation? I'm like, I don't know, a few times a year. And he's like, great. Do you want to fly there? Yeah. Do you want to fly in coach? You want to fly in first class? When you get there, do you want to stay at the Motel 6 or the Four Seasons? Yeah. When you're there, do you want to, you know, um, go to the grocery store and make all your meals? Or do you want to try the four-star, five-star, Michelin-star restaurants? Right. And I was like, oh, that's different. And what he pushed me to think about was not just my calling, this thing that I want to do, this thing that really um, that really is, is my, my gravitational force or the connection of I really matter, my work really matters, but also that contribution. How is this work contributing to the life and the lifestyle that I want to have? So, you know, your listeners care deeply about impact. So their work has to manifest their values on a daily basis, right? It has yep. to reach the, the change that they want to make. But they also want it to build a career trajectory that makes sense to them. And further, I'm guessing they probably also want it to allow them to have a lifestyle that, that they'd like to have. Now, I'm kind of a princess, right? I spent plenty of time on campaign buses eating cold pizza and being worth my weight in ramen soup and idealism. Yeah. I had that time in my life. I'm now approaching 50. I don't want to do that anymore. That doesn't <laughs> yeah. So when I created my firm, I had to do it in a way where I could, A, help save the world by being on the same side of the table as all of my amazing nonprofit clients, but B, pay myself enough money that I could fly in first class. I wanted to save the world because I care, but I wanted to fly in first class because I'm a princess. And so I created a business and I created work that allowed me to have that because that was what I cared about. And that's how I define success. But other people may say, whatever, I don't care. I like the big, great American road. I like camping out wherever I go. Yeah. I don't need, you know, to, yeah. so for them, my version of success might make their skin crawl. For me, their version of success might make my skin crawl, but everybody's version of success is their own and it's individual. And the only person who gets a vote is them. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, this, the whole topic of success, you know, it's this thing that everyone keeps redefining and it's always something else. And, you know, obviously to your point, it is really different for each person. And the other, you know, thing I find fascinating about it is that people are always striving to get to be successful, to, to be, to find success and rather than just living it now, you know, so why aren't we successful now? Like meaning, I'll give you an example just as, you know, you talked about the flights and those things, and that could be an element of being success in your life, but it's also just waking up happy, right? So it's waking up doing something that matters to you, right? And, you know, taking actions every day that you're proud of. Um, if you can do that, maybe that's success to you, and maybe you can wake up the next day and do something that matters, and that means you are successful. You know what I mean? I do, and I do believe that the worst four words in the English language are, I'll be happy when. Exactly, exactly. I'll be happy when I'm on vacation. Exactly. I'll be happy when my kids are grown. I'll be happy when I lose five pounds. I'll be happy when I get the promotion. Yes. 
Well, you know what? You might get hit by a bus tomorrow, and I bet you won't be happy when then, right? (laughs) Right, exactly. I I feel very strongly that if there is something in your life that you do not like, you need to change it. It is not, no one's going to change it for you. And, you know, and I, and I think, I think what happens is we don't change because there's something that we want. We change when there's something that's so painful that we can't not have it any longer, right? We need a reason to move. And when I give keynote uh, speeches, what I do at the end of the talk is I ask people, like, imagine what your life would be like if you were limitless, right? Imagine what that would feel like every day and think about what it would take to get there. And now imagine the cost if you don't. And exactly. people are like, oh, wait. And, you know, if you think about how many days on earth you have, it's not a ton, like we have one go around, like this is it. And it's, you know, there's a, a, a great, uh, TEDx, uh, who's, I don't remember who, who did it. I think the guy's name maybe is AJ. And it's like, it, it's something like, it's not your practice life. Like this is it. Like this is your life. You know, I hundred percent agree. And I always tell people, like I closed out a course that we did and I was like, guys, remember the, the pain of regret is far worse than the pain of failure. And, you know, I think you're right. Like it's the, the motive where motivation truly comes from is when the pain of not doing something is greater than the pain of actually doing something. Yes. hundred percent. It's such a powerful conversation and it's amazing because once you start wrapping your head around these ideas, you start potentially, hopefully changing your behaviors. Um, and it's not easy. Like we have deep rooted, uh, habits from years of conditioning, right? These blueprints that are kind of like subconsciously triggering how we feel about money or how we feel and think about success. And we will, we will subconsciously sabotage ourselves. What do you, what do you think about that? Well, I think that's right. I mean, I think, I think that there's a, I think there's a lot of things. I think, I think we have two competing forces that are making us incredibly unhappy. The first is that we have other people who are showing off about success, right? And maybe this isn't going to be a whole conversation about, Oh, social media is terrible because I actually think social media is great. It's a wonderful way to connect us and keep us together and learn and grow. But if you spend your time judging your own bloopers by everybody else's highlight reels, you're going to be miserable, right? So (laughs) use social media for what it's for, which is A, not comparison, but B, connection. So do that. Like, I think that's so important. So we have this one thing where we have everybody else showing us like the right school, the right college, the right career, the right spouse, the right house, the right everything. And we have this, 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 this world where we have that on the one side. And then on the other side, it is not socially acceptable to be ambitious, right? And especially if you're a woman, oh, she's so ambitious, right? It's a dirty word. And 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 I I so we have this place where we're not supposed to own our big dreams. We're not supposed to own our desire to be fiercely independent and 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 wanting to do our own thing. And and I th- here's what I tell young people and especially young people who are in the impact space. I ask them do you think, and I would ask you the same question, Adam, do you think that if you had a bigger platform, a bigger megaphone, a bigger foundation, a bigger voice, you could do better and do more for the people and that you love and the causes that you care about? Um, I do. mean, I would say almost not that I could do better. So I'd say no, but if I was all, if I already had a formula for doing well of reaching the right people, then I could do better because I can reach more of them. 
Right. So if you had the formula and you could reach more of them and the work that you were doing was going to impact their lives in a greater way, I would argue that it's not ambition. It's your responsibility to get there. Love that. Yes. Agreed. Yes. And I think that's a real difference. So I think we have these sort of two competing, these two competing, uh, you know, worlds of there's, there's only one definition. And if you strike off on your own, it's not good. But I, and, and so we, we sort of hide and we say, well, I'm not really, you know, we have this sort of faux humility that's happening there. And I think it makes people pretty unhappy. Yes. Yeah. hundred percent. So I, and I, I like that. And the only reason I gave you my roundabout answer <laughs> is because I'm, I'm so hung up on, you know, people with their businesses, their lives are trying to impact others and all that stuff. They're like, if I could just reach more people, get more customers, all this stuff, they define their success by numbers. And oh, I'm no. turning that around and defining it by no, you just need to get not a lot of people. You need to get a lot of the right people. It's, it's the you know like really attracting the correct people who are going to be behind, stand behind what you do, and have the same worldview. Yeah, I mean, I, I did a, I did a whole TEDx talk on this idea of action versus impact because I, I for those twenty years I interviewed people, I would hear things like, "Well, I sent out eight hundred press releases," <laughs> and I would say, "Well, that's great. Did you get an article in the paper of the guy who runs the committee who calls for the vote on this policy?" Exactly. And they would say, "Well, I'm not sure." And I'm like, "Well, that's the only press release that actually mattered, right?" <laughs> I mean, that's, so I so love that. We, we could be really busy, right? We could we can be so busy creating cathedrals to ourselves and our good works and being busy, busy, busy. And then we turn around one day and we're like, well, why aren't I making any progress on my goals? And it's because we're not actually doing the right thing. You know, when a, when a gunman killed 20 children and six adults at Sandy Hook Elementary School, 67,000 teddy bears descended on Newtown, Connecticut. Yeah. Right. That's lovely. It's wonderful. It comes from the best part of our humanity. It is a noble instinct. However, (laughs) <laughs> the 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 idea that we should be satisfied that that action was impact is Pollyannish at no. best and frankly harmful because the money and the time that it took to distribute and store and and actually incinerate most of those teddy bears <laughs> could have been better used for common sense gun control or grief counseling or um, or 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 you know rebuilding the school or all kinds of other things that were actually needed for impact. Yep. And so you know we get trapped in this idea of sort of the hustle porn, right? Grind, 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 more, more, more. Oh, yes. And we have to stop sometimes and say, but why? And is it the right thing? And am I the right person? Or is there somebody who is better? I mean, I am, your listeners can't see me, but I'm a middle-aged white lady, right? The Black Lives Matter movement was not about me. It was not my job to be front and center on the microphone in that movement. It was my job to ask them what they needed and provide resources or assistance or platform or connections and then get out of the way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And some people hear that and go, oh no, we all have to have a role. It's like, yeah, we do, but I am not the person who should have decided my role. Right. And, but, and, and I, I agree. And I, and I, I really kind of just going to backpedal a second to like your press release example, because I think it's very clear, right? So, um, it is really powerful because it is about how we take conscious steps, um, you know, in these situations, how are, like, are we working effectively and smart? I am so, like my co-founder and I talk about this all the time. I'm like, God, I'm so tired of people saying I'm grinding and I'm hustling and all this stuff. I'm like, I don't care. Like, I don't care if you're working 20 hours a day, 
because it, that just means you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> like you're not exactly. working effectively and smart. Like I finish work at three and four o'clock. My wife comes home. I make dinner. I spend time with my family. I work on the weekends till 1 p.m. The rest of the day I spend with my family because I plan, I block my time and I try to be smart about it. But I still I do a lot of stuff. You know what I mean? I, you know, for, for, for the 15 years I ran my own firm, we were a virtual firm. We had no office space. And when I first started the firm, I would get in these offices with these, with these, you know, old traditional old guys and they would, and it was, you know, back before this was a thing and they would say, Oh, so you're virtual. Does that mean you're not real? And my, my business partner who, uh, I am, you know, like East coast, um, tough, you know, all sort of heart and gut. And she's sort of all brain and classically trained cellist, beautiful blonde Bob, like very, you know, perfect Southern finishing school type. She would lean in and she would say, Oh, well, you know, you know, that beautiful office space of that incredibly real firm that you used before it wasn't didn't they have lovely offices and she, the, the guy of course would always be like oh no no i mean we, we not i never went to the offices they came to me she said oh <laughs> that's so interesting i wonder then why you were paying for it and they go oh and suddenly we were really real right but then they would say well how do you i don't understand if you don't see your people how do you judge the the quality of their work and we would say, by the quality of their work. Yeah, the results. <laughs> like, I mean, ugh, I don't understand that. I mean, it's a, you hear it today, too. Like, oh, you're virtual. Wow. I mean, what do you mean? Wow. This is more the standard in my mind. And, you know, to me, it's not about, I don't care if you work from nine to five or anything. I just care about what's the goal? What's the deadline? Did you meet it? Exactly. And, and, and by the way, if I can charge you less money and I can pay my people more and then yes. hire better people for you... And we all win because I don't have to pay for this big overhead. And, and, and if they, you know, for years we did work for, for, for the Special Olympics International and my business partner was at the time based in Moscow because she was married to a man in the foreign service. And I was in Boston. She was in Moscow. The CEO of, of Special Olympics is in Atlanta. And at one point she mentioned something about being in Moscow and he's like, oh, he's like, you're back in Moscow. And she said, yes. And, and he said, why are you there? She said, well, my family lives here. Right. And he, she said, he said, well, how often do you visit? He said, well, I, I live here. And he couldn't get over it. We've been working for him for a year and a half. And he couldn't understand why that never registered. And I had to explain to him that it never registered because it never needed to register right. because the work never suffered. We were still absolutely present for client-centered moments. But then when the work get, gets done, it gets done. And so, uh, you know, this this idea that we have to prostrate ourselves um, to, 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 the, to the big firm in order to be all in and be successful it just it just it rubbed me the wrong way and it it i think it allows um it allows entrepreneurs today to to not be constrained by the kinds of people they could hire we hired so many foreign service spouses like think about people that are in the diplomatic corps they are incredibly intelligent they are worldly they are well read they are intellectual they speak 17 different languages they are um they they are not afraid of change they move every couple of years so they're used to like technology and setting things up and kicking yeah. and and think about the people they marry. People tend to marry people that are similar to them, right? So these right. traveling spouses who have master's degrees and PhDs and who are traveling all around the world and lucky to file papers in the ambassador's office, you know, if they can, are so desperate for real work. And so we were able to hire the, some of the most intelligent men and women who otherwise would have had talent just languishing. And so this idea that 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 we can't be flexible in the way that we do our work and when we show up to do our work and and that we can't do work that really matters. 
and also still have success. Just I, I, I rejected that. Yeah. And you should, I mean, and this is what we push people to is like, yeah, you should reject those things. And, you know, I, I like to say we're our own artist, right? So like every, you know, we're, we're creating uh, our, our own life path. And, you know, I, I think so many people, I had a conversation with someone a couple of years ago that I interviewed and I asked, I was like, listen, a lot of people come to me and say, yeah, but you know, I have this job, it's stable. And, you know, I have, I, I have kids now and, you know, I got this and then they, all these things. And it's like, my life is so busy. It's really hard for me to focus on that passion, the thing that I really want to do. Right? That, that's <laughs> you a don't really want to do it. <laughs> well, that's where I'm going. And I was like, well, is that a real, is that a realistic thing, way to think or not? And he was like, well, unfortunately it's not it more, but that means that they're, not, they're not willing to make the time and they're just making excuses. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that, I think that it's okay to not really want that thing anymore. I think a lot of times we want that thing and then we get on the path and we realize it may not, either it's not what we thought it was going to be after we started discovering what it actually was, yeah. or we decided that we weren't willing to put in the work for it, or we decided that maybe there was something we might've wanted better or differently, or maybe we just got older. Like at every age and at every life stage, the things that you're going to want will be different. And I think that we have to allow that we are going to learn and we are going to develop and that we are going to change our minds. And that's okay. Yeah. And everyone's on their own timeline, right? Everyone's on their own timeline. So like you had your, you know, stroke moment, <laughs> we'll call it that, Yeah, <laughs> the epiphany moment, right? Um, and everyone is on their own timeline where an experience might jolt their perspective, right? Because like we have, like we talked about this conditioned blueprint, and sometimes it takes a, a travel experience or some type of experience to shake us up and make us see things differently from that blueprint, right? And all of a sudden we're like, oh my God, I get it now, <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, sometimes we need a, 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 a natural disaster. Sometimes we need a news story. Sometimes we need, a, 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 you know, our, our employer going bankrupt and losing our job all of a sudden. Sometimes, yes. God forbid, we need a diagnosis, you know, a car accident or something. And, you know, I used to interview people who, yeah, I, I had such a great job. I, I got to interview people who um, didn't give a crap about increasing shareholder value necessarily, right? They were all in social impact work. They were all nonprofits. They, they, they cared deeply about making the world a better place. And so I never had to hear about quarterly returns and things like that. I got to hear things like, um, when I was 18 years old, I was a gangbanger and I got shot and right. I, I crawled home and I laid in my cousin's arms and I thought I was going to die. And I prayed to God in that moment that if I survived, I would make sure that my young cousin and every other young man who looked like me would never go through this again. And that's why I've been doing gang intervention work for the last 20 years. And I got to hear stories like that where, where, uh, I was so privileged. I was so blessed to get to hear those stories. And, and I, I got to hear why people wanted to do what they did. And so I never really looked for subject matter expertise. I, I, that was, people could learn what they needed to learn in a book. I mean, obviously to some extent, right? If you're doing brain surgery, you, you better have subject matter expertise. But I looked for, I looked for tenacity, speed, weight, grit, and hunger, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Hunger was the thing. You cannot be insatiably hungry for someone else's goal. 
and it's got to be yours. And so as we're going through life and we have these goals and we have these desires, if you don't have that insatiable hunger, that's going to make you tenacious. That's going to give you the desire to get up over and over and over again and get, I mean, follow your passion as the world's worst advice, right? You should expect to get beaten up by your passion. You should expect to be gutted by your passion because the, the reason that you get good at it and you become an expert and you excel at it is because you, you have decided to invest in your passion. And so I, people, the difference between the, the entrepreneurs, right. And the actual entrepreneurs are the ones that are willing to invest in that passion. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. It's, um, I will speak from experience that it can be a very painful, <laughs> painful journey, but oh, it's horrible. It's the, it's the worst thing ever. It will turn you upside down. I mean, it's, it's, but, 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 if, but, you know, people ask me why I, why I do what I do. And what I say to them is I couldn't not do what I do. I, yes. No, I know exactly what you mean. Like, you can't imagine waking up and doing anything else. <laughs> it's no. like, how oh, can gosh. that be? No. I would rather live in a cardboard box and wake up every day pursuing something till I figure it out, <laughs> you know? So hundred percent. Absolutely. And, and, and it's like what telling the story about when I started my last business. I, once I figured out that there was a better way to do it, it was like, I couldn't, I couldn't keep doing it the other way. Right. Right. hundred percent. Yeah, no, that is so true. And once you break free from old, the old pattern, like you take, you take that courageous leap, you move forward on something that you really should be doing your unique genius. You can't imagine going back to like interviewing for a job and, you know, 10 years later, still going to the office. You just can't, you can't. So, Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, is there, is there a problem with working for someone else? No. I mean, co- good impact companies, they need employees too. Um, but that's great experience for people. So like, you know, I worked for other people and I did volunteer work and all those things. And I'm, I'm sure you've been, you obviously have been down those roads too. So there's a place for, uh, for all of those things, but Geez, I mean, I just, I don't know. There's something about uh, once you get a taste for having, like making your own schedule, doing waking up and doing what you want to do and ah, you just can't go back. <laughs> no you, can, you can't go back. And, you know, and, and it may be, it may be that there are, so for example, when I was running my company, I was an entrepreneur and I was running a company that was pretty much like a magical mystery tour. Like we really, uh, we had an idea. We thought it might work. We kept innovating and trying and our company grew hundred percent every year for the first 10 years. It was like having a tiger by the tail, but right. it was really more of like a magical mystery tour. Like I didn't quite exactly know what the next year was going to be. And I never quite exactly knew that the phone was going to ring again. And I never quite exactly knew when I went into a large national nonprofit organization and proposed some wacky thing, like they just put <laughs> us on a retainer. Right. period, right. whether they have surgeries or not. Like, I didn't know if they were going to say yes or throw us out of the office. And so people started coming to work for us from these traditional search firms. And, uh, I, and, and then I, we started getting a little bit of, uh, like a, a, a little bit of, uh, tension in the firm. And what I realized was just because I was an entrepreneur and just because we were an absolutely entrepreneurial endeavor didn't make them entrepreneurs. And that was a, that was an interesting moment as a leader, as a manager to understand that I was the entrepreneur, but people like to be around entrepreneurs doesn't make them entrepreneurs themselves. And that's sort of a tricky place to be as a leader. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 
I think that makes sense. And so there are some, you know, there's the like, uh, could you work for other people? I could never work for anybody else ever again. When I sold the firm, uh, somebody tried to hire me and threw a very lucrative contract at me trying to woo me. And I was like, you don't understand. Like he wanted me to basically run his recruiting for his whole global expansion. And I was like, you don't understand as the head of recruiting for you. My first, uh, my first, uh, statement to you would be don't hire me. Right. Like I just, like, <laughs> I, I am, I am my friend, Scott Stratton likes to say that entrepreneur is Latin for bad employee. Like I just couldn't do it. Right. But so there's the, there's the entrepreneurs and then there's the employees and then there's the employees that like to work with entrepreneurs and they're the kind of like in the little bit of the middle group. And so I think that's kind of a good place to be if you're somebody who's not, you, you want to be an entrepreneur, but you're not quite there. Right. You, yeah. you kind of be in the space a little. Yep. No, I, I think so too. I mean, who you surround yourself you know, with matters and all that good stuff. So I'm, I just, as we get a chance to wrap up here before we do, I'm curious, you know, we have a bunch of people here listening and, you know, <clears throat> it, it, you know, as you get started with these things and you have these success blocks, if you will, um, I guess, what are your thoughts on starting to overcome them? I mean, I, I don't, like, how do you start acknowledging them? You might have all the rationaliz it's the rationalizations, the excuses that people, oh, well, I don't do that because of this. Or, you know, it's always, be, I, they have answers, but what they don't know is that they're, they're full of shit. <laughs> and most people are. <laughs> right, that's what I'm saying. Yes. Most people are. Uh, you know, I like to surround myself with what I call my family. Yeah. And that's the combination of your friends that make up your family. You know, we all have a family that we were born into. Some of us are very lucky to have a, a terrific and supportive and understanding family who can get what we're doing, you know, our, our particular brand of freak flag. And some of us have a family that doesn't. And for people who don't have that, uh, or even if they do, it's to have an addition of a family. And those are the friends that you surround yourself with who, um, who you tell your big, crazy, audacious goal, you know, your BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal. And, and, and you ask them to sort of push you around on it and to check in with you on it. And, and they're, because they are people who are, they're not like mentors or champions They're not like they're, 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 they're not your personal board of advisors, that whole thing Like that's about your business. But I mean, the people who you know in your personal life who can just ask you questions like, so why aren't you starting that yet? And okay, if it's because you've got little kids, well, are there things that you could do right now so that when the kids are grown, you can do that? Or is right. there, is that, you know, really the thing that's getting in your way and ask and having people who are in that space where they are, they are approaching you in a loving way. And, you know, I don't want to harsh on Gary V. I know people love themselves <laughs> Gary V, but the whole, like, you're going to die, get going, get started right now. Do it, do it, do it, do it. it. Some people can do that. And I think that's great. I mean, I, I ascribed to the lean in, be all things to all people all the time methodology. It worked for me until it didn't work for me. And then when it stopped working for me, I really, it really didn't work for me. And so my, my issue with the, the, my issue with the Gary V's and the Sheryl Sandbergs are not how they achieve success. It's like the definition of success. Yeah. And, and so I think for people who are having trouble and finding roadblocks, I would ask them to surround themselves with family members who can really ask them if that's actually what they want, if that's actually what success looks like yep. Yep. for them in particular. Yep. That makes a hundred percent success, uh, sense. Um, so, I mean, I guess I'm going to close out with, I, I think actually, maybe that's a good close. So I think that's a good piece of advice for people. Um, I was going to ask, like, 
you know, what your best advice might be. But I think that was right there. That was good advice. Well, I, I could, I could actually, I could actually go one, one step farther if you want. Sure. Fire away. Um, what I would say is that if people are finding that in fact, those excuses are real, they're not excuses, but you know, they are bound by the time and space of, you know, small children, aging parents, finishing classes, yep. school, whatever the things are, the economics of reality, you know, my bank doesn't take good karma in exchange for mortgage, no matter how hard I try. Yep. So, you know, we all have, we all live in, in, in the real world. Um, I would say I would give them the advice that my 16 year old gave me, um, a few uh, years back when I was struggling with something that I couldn't quite get done. And he told me I should go on a side quest. Now, I don't know if you're a gamer, but do you know what a side quest is? I actually, yes, I do. <laughs> okay. Uh, let me explain this for your listeners. So if the quest is to go to the castle and slay the dragon and save the princess, but you're not quite ready to do that because the friend that you want to play with is still, you know, finishing up the dishes after dinner, yep. you're hanging out and you've got nothing else to do. So what do you do? Well, if you need to go to the castle and slay the dragon and save the princess, you're probably going to need a horse and a sword and a ladder of some sort, right? right? So what can you do? You're a farmer. So you can look at your wheat, you can tend your crops, you can um, plow your crops, you can take them to the market, you can sell them for money so that you can go to another stall and buy the horse and buy the sword and buy the ladder. Right. Um, so that when you're ready and your friend finally finishes dinner with his, with his parents, <laughs> you can go to the castle, slay the dragon, save the princess. And so what I would tell people is that if they have excuses and the excuses are, I can't do that big, huge thing, then do the small things right now. Listen to more podcasts like this. Join networking groups. Go to events. Read books. Take some classes. Do the small things that you can do to gather the network and the knowledge uh, and the 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 information, yep. so that when you're ready to go to the castle and slay the dragon and save the princess. You've got the horse and the ladder and the rope. Well, exactly. And, and it's a great analogy because, you know, it is about kind of sometimes you have to build up your resources. It's kind of like st the smaller steps in between the, the main objective. So, you know, just like building up your confidence, your knowledge, uh, your network, those things that all plays a valuable role in getting to your goals. 100%. Love it. That's a good one to end on. So let's let's just give a shout out. How do people learn more about your book? I mean, yeah, we can search on Amazon, but where can they find you online? All that good stuff. Yeah. So online on all the socials, I'm at Hey LGO. So H E Y L G O. And they can find me uh, at heylgo.com as well. And if they're trying to figure out, well, I don't really know where to start. I'm not really sure. I don't really know how to put myself in consonants and find this combination of like connection and calling and uh, contribution and control. They can take a quiz um, that I have online at limitlessassessment.com. Love it. Well, listen, really appreciate your time, Laura. Always fun to talk about these topics, and I love your passion behind it. So, guys, book looks amazing. I would definitely check it out. This is just one of those inspirational uh, books with lots of insights to help you take it to the next level. Laura, thanks again. Appreciate it. Thanks for having That's me. That's all for this episode. Your next step is to join the change creator revolution by downloading our interactive digital magazine app for premium content, exclusive interviews, and more ways to stay on top of your game. Available now on iTunes and Google Play or visit changecreatormag.com. We'll see you next time where money and meaning intersect right here at the Change Creator Podcast. Thank <laughs> you.